Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Judy Lutz, and I serve as a shepherding deacon in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Loving God, we rejoice in this season of anticipation as we remember your promises and look forward to the ways that you reveal yourself to us. May your presence be real to us in this hour. Strengthen us for victories over temptation, for renewal of our love for you and one another, for leadership and service in your church. We give thanks that you have called us into community and commissioned us to make a difference in the world. Equip us here for the task that you set before us. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Today, the third Sunday of Advent, the candle will be lighted that represents love, the love of God revealed in this humble appearance of an infant. Listen to the scripture reading from John 3, 16 through 17 that reveals the good news of the love of God revealed to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We light this candle today in preparation for the coming of Christ.
are busy people. We have problems to solve, appointments to keep, tasks to complete. We are rushed, stressed, and exhausted. In our busyness, we get so caught up in the demands of the here and now that we forget to seek the one who promised us rest for our weary souls if we would only come to him. So let us now confess our sin and neglect before God, who is waiting to receive us with open arms. Let us pray. All-knowing God, we confess our worry and anxiety over unimportant matters. We admit the fears that make us defensive instead of loving. We acknowledge our resentment over losses we have sustained and oppression we have suffered. We recognize that we have been far more concerned for our own welfare than for the building up of Christ's body, the church. We have focused on survival more than service. We look for what we can gain more than what we can give. Reestablish your rule among us, we pray, and save us from ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. God is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and receive his Son as Savior and Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. believers across the globe and down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let us turn and greet our neighbors with the love of Christ.
Didn't get back in time, sorry. <laughs> Good morning. We welcome you on this third Sunday of Advent and delighted that we are here to be together as we make our way to Bethlehem and to worship at the cradle of the newborn Savior. We hope that you will know that there are many ways by which you can join us in that journey and we would love for you to study your bulletin and find out ways in which that can happen. We had a wonderful uh, Samaritan dinner on Friday night. The campus center was filled with people as we uh, came alongside to partner with our Samaritan Counseling Center here on our campus as they reach out to do amazing things on behalf of Jesus Christ to care for those who are going through crisis. So we're grateful that we had the chance to do that this weekend. We would love for you to fill out the friendship pads and pass those to your neighbor and hope that you will take note of those who are sitting near you. We would love for you on your way out to pick up a winter planner, which is made available for you after the service to uh, take home to study, to learn about what is happening in the upcoming months here at Church of the Palms. All kinds of things go on, especially in season, January, February, March. So, so you'll wanna take note of those and uh, grab one on your way out. Uh, immediately at hand, we have, of course, many things that uh, fill up our calendar as we invite you to join us in this journey to Bethlehem. This coming Friday night, we will be having a wonderful concert right here in the sanctuary, uh, Festival of Carols, which will be led by our choir as well as the choir at First Presbyterian Church of Sarasota. They'll joining together with the Sarasota Young Voices. The chancel will be full of singers and uh, you'll be invited to sing along with us as we have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas celebration. This Friday night, tickets are available, I believe in under the tree and at the church office. So we would love to have you join us uh, for that. Our longest night service is coming up. Uh, that will be a week from this Sunday evening. We will be having a time for you to come and gather with us, those of you who especially are struggling through uh, the Advent season, perhaps Christmas and Advent is not for you a real a happy time. We'd love to have you join us as we ponder and wonder about the light that shines in the darkness that will be on uh, a week from tonight, uh, that Sunday evening. We have a beach service coming up. <laughs> Christmas beach service. Uh, that will be sponsored by our, our garden leadership and that will be on the 23rd over on the beach, five o'clock, that's Tuesday night, a week from Tuesday. So you'll wanna join us for that. We're gonna have a Christmas sunset service. We have an Easter sunrise service, we're gonna have a Christmas sunset service. So come and join us and it will be a great opportunity. And then our Christmas Eve services are filled five, seven, nine, and 11 here in the sanctuary and a live nativity that you'll want to see as we uh, come to that time of, um, of celebrating the newborn Christ. And then lastly, we want to give you the opportunity to extend our hospitality to those who come our way. We could use your help in hospitality on Christmas Eve especially, ushering, greeting, even parking. We could use some help with leadership in our parking ministry. Uh, we, want, we don't want to have people lose their religion after they leave here on their way <laughs> home. So we hope that uh, you might help us with that parking ministry. We've been uh, telling the story of God as we find it in scripture uh, from Genesis all the way through the New Testament. And alongside of that, we're putting our own stories and giving people in our church a chance to share their own part of their own story. And Brad Wilson is here today and I'd like to have Brad share with us a little bit about his own story. 
Good morning. Um, right after Katrina, a group from Church of the Palms went over to Mississippi, and on our first Sunday there at Gaucher Presbyterian Church, we heard a guest pastor. He told about a trip he had taken to Nicaragua with a doctor friend of his from Kentucky. They were in a rural village. They were giving health exams to people who very seldom were able to see a doctor. A woman came up to him carrying two one-month-old babies. She had had twins. And as the doctor's examining the babies, she asked him very casually, which one do you think's the healthiest? And as he pondered her question, Ken realized what she was really asking. She didn't have enough resources to care for both children. She wanted to know which one was the healthiest because she was gonna have to let the other one starve. Ken, working behind the scenes, was able to provide her with extra milk and nutrition that day, as well as for the next foreseeable future. Two years later, that doctor visited the village again, and he saw the woman holding hands with two bounding toddlers. God is truly amazing. That and Psalm 82, which challenges us to defend the weak and the fatherless, as well as James 127, where we are reminded to look after orphans and widows in their distress, has encouraged me to work in the orphanage down in Honduras, where we do construction, where 39 children live, and to work in the vacation Bible school down there, where we're able to care for children, many of which who don't have fathers in the home. I've also been able to work with youth in our youth program, some of whom have gone on to have children of their own. Others, as they approach their mid-20s, I'll meet for coffee at a Cracker Barrel or a coffee shop just to help them deal with the uh, details of adulthood and remind them to turn back to God. I've been very richly blessed to be in this church. My wife, Patty, introduced me to Church of the Palms 34 years ago. We've been married 31. We raised our two children here, and we have truly been blessed to be part of this church. I've told you part of my story. I don't possibly have time to tell it all to you, but under the tree, I'd love to hear yours. Thank you.
Let us pray. God of grace, and God of glory, God of love, it is a wonder the way you invite us into your story. The story of love that we heard about as the pink candle on the reef was lit this morning. For you so loved this world that you gave your only begotten Son. How you have invited Elder Brad Wilson and each one of us in this room into your story. A story of grace, a story of redemption, a story of forgiveness, a story of abundance, a story of love. And so in this season of Advent, oh God, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you thanks for the way that you are involved in each of our lives, the way that you make yourself known in the hug of a friend, in the words of a stranger, in the opportunities to serve and to bless in Jesus' name. Because, O oh Lord, there is so much that is not right in this world all around us. But knowing that you are a God who loves and you are a God who has a purpose and a plan that you are unfolding, it gives us hope that we can trust in you. And so our prayers go out today for those who have experienced loss, for those who are struggling with health issues or financial issues, relationship problems. There are so many needs, places of violence all around the world that are difficult to understand. So, Lord, we pray that you would use us, use the church of Jesus Christ all around the globe in spite of the circumstances to proclaim your love. Use us for that purpose as well and unite us as we seek to be used according to your plan as we pray the prayer Jesus taught all who follow him to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we continue our worship, we come to the time in the service where we present our tithes and offerings to God. And when we do that, know that there are ministries in our community that are blessed by what we give. Ministries like Samaritan Counseling Services, ministries like Resurrection House, uh, these ministries that help the orphan and the widow and the stranger in the land. Let us worship God with our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Gracious God, in this season of giving, we acknowledge that you are the giver of all good gifts, and we bless you for the abundance that you have entrusted to our stewardship. And so we return a portion of that provision this morning in these tithes and offerings. Bless and multiply what we give so that your will may be accomplished in this congregation, in our community, and in places all around the world. We pray it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated, and I would like to invite the children to come forward to the chancel steps here now for a time with Miss Lori. Not in her wedding dress today. Not in a wedding dress at all. She might get a little bored if we did that. Good morning. How are you guys? Good, 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 good morning. Hello, so good to see you. So we are continuing some learning about the prophets. Remember the prophets who are messengers for God, and today we get to learn about Isaiah. Hi. Who is sending a message from God that God is going to send a Messiah. The Israelites couldn't have been happier. It is so great because they have been waiting for a Messiah for generations. People have been so mean to him, so hard on them, they cannot wait for a Messiah. And you know the kind of Messiah I think they were hoping for? I think maybe like a mighty king, or better yet, maybe a superhero would come to them and save the day for all times. And I was wondering if you could be a superhero and you could have any superpower you wanted in the entire world, what kind of superpower would you have? Yeah. I'd be able to morph into anything I wanted to. Oh, nice. To morph into anything that you want. Grant. Have super speed. Super speed. Very cool. Sophie. Be invisible. Ooh, that's kind of fun, isn't it? And Eddie. To use no power. You would use no power. Oh, that's kind of like your life right now, isn't it? <laughs> no power. <laughs> so here's what's happening. I did some research on superpowers. Do you know that there are eight pages of superpowers? Eight pages. It is way different than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I think you could have like x-ray vision and you could fly. And there was that one guy that got really angry and turned green and was strong. That was it eight pages. One of them was something called a death touch. Can you imagine what that might be? I think that's maybe what the Israelites were hoping for. Some kind of Messiah that would come in and destroy their enemies, maybe with a death touch. But Isaiah tells us God is sending a different kind of Messiah. The Messiah that God is going to send is someone who is gentle and kind and who wants to serve others with love. And you go, what kind of Messiah is that? It's the kind of Messiah that would be born in a manger among animals. It's the kind of Messiah that loves us so much, he would die for us on the cross. Do you know who that is? Who is it? Everybody say it. Jesus. It's Jesus. And guess what? Every time we are kind Every time we are loving and we serve others with that love, we honor God and we bring just a little bit of Jesus into this cold, dark world. It doesn't take superpowers. It doesn't take a superhero to do amazing things for God's kingdom right here. 
Will you pray with me? Gracious God, please fill us up with your love. Fill us up with kindness so that when we go out into the world, we might touch others with a humble act of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One announcement I failed to make earlier is that there is a new members class after this service. If you have been wondering about what membership here at Church of the Palms looks and feels like and what it means to become 
a part of our mission of equipping disciples for the service of Christ, we would love for you to come and join us. Uh, we will be meeting over in the chapel, and um, you can come and learn, and you don't have to make your choice today, but we would love to have you uh, discover more about what is happening here and how you can be a part of it. We are, again, making our way through the great story of God that we know in Scripture, and we have been in the midst of the story of the prophets. The prophets, as Lori mentioned, great messengers of God, the heralds of God who proclaim the good news, not only of God's presence in the moment, but of God's coming in the form of the Messiah. And today we are in Isaiah chapter 42, a prophecy in Isaiah that we don't often refer to during the Advent season, but one that is just as germane. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of God. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I've given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor more my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Allow us, O Lord, your mercy and grace that you may allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh, the one who we seek to serve and worship in the Bethlehem cradle. For this we pray in Christ's name, amen. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that there are very few of you who know the name or know the person behind the name of Scott Fallman. Now believe me, this is no attempt on my part to boast of my knowledge because I did not know the name of Scott Fallman until a few days ago when I began writing this sermon. Scott Fallman, it is widely believed, is the creator of the first smiley emoticon and the first frowny emoticon. Now I will take another guess and wonder maybe that there are some of you who do not know what an emoticon is. <laughs> Emoticons are those little symbols that express emotion. Emoticon comes from two words, emotion and icon. 
emoticons come together to be those symbols that express our emotion. If I were to draw a smiley face or a frowny face, well, let's get that away, smiley face or a frowny face, that would be an emoticon. In this hyper-typographical world, we are relying more and more upon emoticons. Typing symbols, often using punctuation marks that express emotion behind our words. In some text or email that we might send, we especially when there's a chance that perhaps our words could be misread to express an unintended emotion, we will add an emoticon to try to convey the feeling behind those words. Emoticons have been around a long time, long before we ended our letters with XXOO. We can trace them back perhaps before Morse code. But Scott Fallman is the Carnegie Mellon computer scientist who came up with the idea of using a colon, a dash, and a right parenthesis to represent a smiley face emotion and a colon, dash, and left parenthesis to represent a frowny face emoticon. And when did he come up with this? 1982, over 30 years ago. Fast forward a few years to Mr. Bill Gates, Mr. Steve Jobs, Mr. Mark Zuckerberg, creators of Microsoft, Apple, and Facebook, not to mention a host of others who have created all sorts of electronic media that makes us depend more and more upon that media to, to, to communicate with each other. And we find ourselves now in this world of hyper typography. We are people of the text. We, the text we compose in email, the text we compose in text, the text we read in blogs, the text we read on our Kindles. We are people of the word. And in being people of the word, we are not unlike the people of God from long ago who were people of the word, people of the text, the sacred text, the word of God, the Torah, the prophets, the law of the prophets, Jesus called them. Israel was a nation of the text, the sacred text, the word of God, a text long ago that was in the hands of just a few people, the scholars whose job it was to study the text and eke out of it every drop of meaning and to discern the spirit inside the text. All this, believe it or not, without emoticons, no smiley faces, no frowny faces in the Bible. Just the text. So the sacred text of today, Isaiah 42, imagines the unfolding of God's great story, a servant, a chosen one, one whose very being will host the Spirit of God, who will bring justice, a quiet servant whose mission it will be to gently bear the will of God, to expressly, to express quietly the will of God, to model faithfully the will of God for all the nations to see. Now, for hundreds of years, when Israel read and studied that text, what they believed was that the servant, this servant was Israel herself, the people of Israel, that as a nation, they were the servant of God to the world. 
But then in Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells the story of Jesus, and as he does so, he looks back into the text of Isaiah and sees something else. He connects the dots between the servant in Isaiah and the rabbi Jesus. It is Jesus, he discovers, who is this chosen one. It is Jesus who is the very being who hosts the Spirit of God. It is Jesus who enfleshes the person of God. It is Jesus who will enact the justice of God. It is in Jesus that we see the servant who bears gently the will of God, expresses quietly the will of God, who models faithfully the will of God for all the world to see. And when you begin to get your heart and mind around this, that Jesus is the enfleshment of God, we see something world-changing happening because now God has chosen to speak to us not just in text, but in flesh. Skipping the whole step of emoticon, happy, frowny, XXOO. God chooses not some punctuation marks in the sky. Rather, God inhabits the text and inhabits the world with flesh and blood. And the reason we might call this world changing is that God is saying something about God's self that he cannot say in text that he can't spell out in text. God is saying about God that his fullest expression cannot be done unless in person. Personality cannot be fully expressed except in person. God so loved the world that he did not send a text. God so loved the world that he didn't send an email. God so loved the world that he didn't just say, read the book. God so loved the world that he skipped the smiley face in the sky. God so loved the world that with his personality, God showed up in person. You see, it just has to be that case, don't you think? That deep down the reason why you and I are so drawn into the gravitational pull of Christmas and the story of Jesus' birth is that there is something so right, there's something so true, there's something so rational about what happens in Bethlehem. If God is truly God, well then God must show up in person. God so loved the world that he showed up. Personality shows up in person. We know that to be true, don't we? If we really want to show who we really are, if you really want to express what is going on inside here, well, text is one thing, emoticon is another thing, but it's when we show up, when we arrive in the flesh, when we let flesh touch flesh, the true personality is revealed. It says something about you and me, doesn't it, when we arrive in the flesh. I was visiting the hospital a while ago and I walked into the little eatery that they have there and I saw someone I knew sitting there and she was sipping some coffee and reading a book. I asked her what she was doing in the hospital coffee shop, sipping a coffee and reading a book. She told me that she was there because her dear friend was upstairs keeping vigil over her dying mother. I thought to myself, this woman said, it wasn't enough for me to call. It wasn't enough for me to text. I just needed to be here for her, my friend. 
And so every hour or so, I just go up and I take her something. I take her a bottle of water. I take her a little snack. I take her a cup of coffee just so that she knows that somewhere in this building, someone is here just for her. Brad talked about Katrina, his going there and other places, showing up in the flesh and being in relationship. And so we join the shepherds and we make our way to the Bethlehem Nativity and we see there this vulnerable little baby. What we see is God wanting to be in a relationship with us, real life and in the flesh relationship. Because you see, it's in this real life and in the flesh relationship that God engages us in our deepest places and draws from us our deepest selves. Flesh will do that to you, you know. Think of the people closest to you, the people in deepest relationship that you have. Think of how deeply they engage you and how deep deeply they draw out from you. Think of the potential of how deeply those people make you happy, how deeply they can make you sad, how deeply they can give you joy, how deeply they can disappoint you, how deeply they can stir you, and how deeply they can even change you. No other gift does this than the flesh. I was walking through the mall the other day, and two guys were standing there and watching one of these latest flat screen, digital, high definition, 10,000 square inch television sets. <clears throat> and the expression on their faces said, wow, wow, what I would give to have this for Christmas. <clears throat> now I get that. The TV I have in my house, which is probably only an eighth of the size of the one they were looking at, though is probably 10 times bigger than the one I ever imagined 30 years ago. And it sure is nice to see every freckle on every face <laughs> and to say, boy, that looks like real life. But it's not. It's not. There is no flesh. There is no breath. There is no soul. There is nothing that stirs inside our souls. Do you remember that wonderful scene in the movie, A Beautiful Mind, the story of the Nobel Prize winner, John Nash's struggle with paranoid schizophrenia, in which he keeps hearing these voices and he keeps seeing people appear that don't really exist and when he's finally at the end of his rope and not knowing what is real and what is delusion, his wife comes to him and says, do you know what's real? And she takes his hand and puts it to her face and then to her heart. And she says, this is real. So God steps onto the scene takes our hand, puts it to his face and to his heart and says, this is real. So when we see Jesus weeping at the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus, we imagine him sitting at our kitchen table, weeping with us in our loss of a loved one. When we see Jesus red-faced and upturning tables in his effort to cleanse the temple, we imagine him red-faced and in our face, angry over our choices to monetize the spiritual life. 
When we see Jesus sweating as of drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, we imagine him sweating with us as we struggle over what we think to be a life and death decision. When we see Jesus place his hands upon the blind man, we imagine him pressing his flesh to ours, to our wounds, to our hurts, and speaking the healing word. When we see Jesus breaking the bread and cup breaking his own body and pouring his own blood. We imagine what wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. Do you see how much God loves us? That's the good news behind the incarnation, the outlandish event that we believe as Christians that God became flesh and like an unsettled baby demands our attention God became flesh and rings the front doorbell of our house. We can hide behind our screens and our phones and our keyboards and our texts. Still, there's one who puts his hand upon us and says, this is real. Undoubtedly, you've seen the news clips of children whose military mothers and fathers, months away in theaters of war, return to surprise their children with a surprise visit or a final homecoming. You've seen some of these, I'm sure. One is emblazoned in my mind. It happens in a classroom. The boy who is sitting at his desk is facing forward up at, uh, to the front where the board is. And what he doesn't know is that his father, a year away at war, has now standing in the back. He has slipped in the back door. The boy continues to stay focused to the front. And finally enough ruckus is caused to make the boy turn. And there he is, in the flesh. And that expression, oh my gosh, that expression. And the sprint, the sprint Desks pushed aside, tables, chairs falling. And then that boy's face buried in that daddy's belly. And the sobs. No text. No Skype. No emoticon. Makes that happen. Only the flesh. So people of scripture, you and me, we know in scripture that God is mighty and that God is loving and that God is powerful and we hear that. But then we hear the virgin will conceive and bear a son. And she will call him Emmanuel, which means God is walking into the classroom. That's the gift that counts. That the God who breathed life into us is the God who breathes life upon us. Every day when we laugh, he laughs. When we cry, he cries. When we don't know what to do, when life gets too overwhelming, he gently sits with us. When we hurt, he heals. When we sin, he forgives. And when we see him ascend, we hear his words, I will be with you. For in the beginning was the Word, 
The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. And the Word has slipped into the classroom full of grace and truth.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.